Hey there, welcome to Board Game Hot Takes, the podcast where we give our immediate reactions to the hottest board games just minutes after playing them. My name's Tim. This is Adam. And this is Steve. And today we're going to give our hot take on a game we just finished playing, Power Grid. But before we jump into a description of the game, I want to share a little bit of little information. I posted a survey on Twitter about a week ago. This is about board game collection sizes, and I wanted to get your guys' thoughts on the results from this. So what I posted is that I keep around 50 board games in my collection. It stresses me out they don't all get played regularly, so I, I rotate stuff out as new stuff comes in. And I asked, what size collection brings you joy? So here are the options that I gave to our Twitter followers. I said, less than 25, 25 to 100, 100 to 200, or 200 plus. What category do you guys fit into? I saw this poll. I thought it was super fascinating to see. And the results were pretty interesting. I have just over 50 board games in my collection. And I think I want to like, I want to call, I want to keep it. I think a max of 50 is about right for me because that's, that's about all I'll ever get played. And I think that's at least one for every occasion that I can think of. And more than that will start to stress me out. So what about you, Steve? Are you counting them? It looks like you're counting them up right now. <laughs> I, yeah, I was looking over my shoulder there. I think I would guess I have, I'd have i have to open the drawers to count all the smaller games, but probably right around 25. So I don't know if it's slightly under or slightly over, but right around 25. Okay, that's what I would have guessed for you. So I'm going to give you guys the results here, and then I want to, I want to hear your thoughts on these results. But I also want to read what some of our followers posted about their own answers. Now, there were 38 people responded here, so 38 votes. Less than 25, 0%. <laughs> Maybe not too surprising. I mean, the people that are following us are board game hobbyists. You know, people that are yeah. board game hobbyists, right? So, so that's not too surprising. In the 25 to 100 category, that was 39%. So it was pretty good. 100 to 200 was only 21%, though. So that leaves the rest, another 39%, sitting at 200-plus games in their collection. <laughs> That's like diehard to me. That's like a hardcore yeah. <laughs> like a library. For mm-hmm. sure. Masters of the universe. <laughs> so this, yeah, that didn't fall out where, where I expected it to be. I thought there'd be more. I, I thought there'd be a few less than 25, at least. And I thought there'd be more at the 100 to 200. 200-plus, 200 that's, that's a lot of games. Yeah, that, that, would, that would be hard for me to deal with, the idea that all those games are sitting there not getting played. What, what do you guys what do you guys think about that do you think you could um, do you think that a 200 plus collection would make you happy would it would, would you uh, would you enjoy having that many games in your house I like the idea but what I've basically decided is that I don't get to play the games I have anyway like I have 25 games about I probably played three in the last month in person. You know, like I've played poker, I've played online, I've played video games, but actual like sit down and play board games with people. And that will change, <laughs> I'm sure, soon. But like what am it still leaves me twenty four more board games to play. Like what am I gonna do to hundred? That's all I'm saying. That's a lot of that's a lot of games. For me, I can see the collector kind of side of it, like oh, that game is cool or it has this interesting facet to it. So I want to add that to my library of games. And I, for the people who enjoy actually collecting, I can see that. But I'm the same with you, Steve. I want to be able to get these games out and play them. And if I don't think there's a game that I'm going to get out and play, I'm not going to buy it. At least I say that. And I have probably like 30 that I've never played out of the the 50 or so that I have. So I don't know. That's, That's how I feel about it. And if I had some sort of like 
I don't know, a giant mansion in an underground vault and unlimited resources where I could stash these things. I could walk through and just like reminisce about the times that I bought these games and played them. Maybe I would start going into mega collection mode, but no, I'm happy with my 50 thing. I feel like anything more than that would, would stress me out. What about you, Tim? What's your thoughts on a, a giant collection? Just to break in real quick, just like to qualify my answer. Like I live in a tiny apartment right now. When I lived in a house, I had... 50 to 75 games but oh okay so i had to decide like what am i gonna pare down in terms of what am i likely to play what am i gonna play how much space am i you know of a small apartment you can uh proportionate to square footage oh definitely for sure yeah i would have unlimited games with unlimited <laughs> square footage so. i have 3800 square feet of house that i live in we have closets that we have to name so that we can tell where they are in the house there's so many closets in this house we don't need this much space. We got plenty of space. I've got a 600 square foot gaming room upstairs. That's pretty much mainly what it's used for. But I still don't want a huge collection of games because I'm just kind of a minimalist. Like when there's stuff that isn't being used in the house, it makes it it feels like a chore to me. It feels like I've got extra pets that I've got to maintain and I've got to remember the rules for and all of that stuff. So for me, it, it definitely doesn't make me happy just to have stuff. So a couple of our Followers posted some comments here on a read, and, and I think they're interesting and, and some good points here. So our friends over at Definitely a Board Game Podcast said, <laughs> in truth, I have too many, but I just love walking through and looking at my collection. That's absolutely right. Like That's the hardest part for me to give up games, because even if I know it's not going to get played, there's still a work of art. Like These games have beautiful boxes. Mm-hmm. They're fun sometimes to just like you have a good experience with it and you want to kind of be able to go back to that at some time in the future. And I was a collector at a time. That's a thing that draws me in. But I've moved like nine times in the last 12 years, carrying stuff around, you know, having stuff that's just, that's just excess. I just don't have any interest in it anymore. So it's kind of a change for me. I think 15, 20 years ago, if I'd had the space and the money and I was in this hobby, I would have easily had several hundred games, I think. But at this point, it's, it's just not something that's interesting to me. For me, that's something that's like a comfort I get from going to the board game store. I can walk around and see shelves and shelves and shelves of board games and look at them all and kind of admire them. That's as as much as I want to admire that many, that amount of games. But I I get that appeal of walking around or like going to the bookstore for some people. Mm -hmm. For me too, people put their heart and soul into writing this book or making a board game or whatever it is. And they're all on display. You can check them out and, you know, read a little bit about them, take a glance. And it's just it's cool. So I get it. I get it. People with big old collections. Yeah. Rick Lorenzen said, I have several sentimental games by designer friends that I supported on Kickstarter or they gifted to me. Still hope to play those with my kids when my kids get older or when I have free time for friends again someday. So yeah, that's a good point too. I mean, you know, in, in Rick's case, he's got games that he really wants to play at some point or expects to get to play sometime in the future. And so he's kind of holding on to him to see if that happens at some point. Mm. So that's a, that's a pretty good reason to hold on to more games than you could actually get through. Drew said, I've got a huge collection. I give away games occasionally, but for the most part, I've had a game room I've been adding to since the 90s. It's always followed me through life and been in storage a couple times. So Drew, you know, is probably kind of following along with the idea that he just likes having a big collection, uh, even if he can't get it played. One more I'll mention. This is Matt Hallowell. He said, I have about 52. Keep it on one shelf. And yeah, even 50 is more than I can reasonably play in a year. But it's nice to have the variety. And I agree with that. Like, yeah, I probably will not get 50 played, but I keep a couple games to say like, hey, if I get some non-gamer friends over, I want to have those kind of party games or the things that I'll just get a group together having fun and an activity to do. And then I've got the games that when Steve comes out to visit, I've kept a couple of games that I think Steve's really going to dig that I'm not 
playing with other people, but I think he'll get a kick out of, right? So I've got those ones. And then I've got the games for when Jen and Danielle, they like certain games. So I, I keep those around to play with them. So I, it is nice to have a variety so that you can use them with the right groups. So then you end up curating a collection probably bigger than you'll play regularly or than you really right. need just so that you can meet those, you know, off chance that something happens. Those corner cases. Yeah, exactly. One last one I'll mention. This is Jeff Milton, our good friend, Jeff. He says, I'm at 40 and find it too much. I could trade in quite a few of them for better ones, to be honest. <laughs> and and that's how I feel. Like, that's what I do with my collection all the time. It's like constantly like, hey, that game just doesn't get me excited anymore. I played a game this weekend I really loved. I'll talk about it a little bit later. My wife liked it. She's like, yeah, you should pick that up. And I was like, perfect, because we played another game right before we left on this little trip and decided I didn't want to keep it. So now I've got one I can send out of my collection and bring another one in that will actually get played a little bit. So... Steve, how hard was it for you to go down, what did you say, you had 75, 100, down to about 25? Was that pretty tough? It was tough, but it was also not overnight. Okay. I made several sequential moves between when I had 100 games or 75 games to where I am now. So I had a lot of opportunity to weed out the ones I liked the least and build up a strategy for deciding what kind of games I want to keep. As Tim mentioned, I try to keep a variety of games based on audience. So, like, I have some games where you don't have to learn a lot of rules. I have card games. I have games for five. I have games for two. Even though I do like certain styles of games, my the games that I buy are generally more based on the likelihood of somebody playing them. So culling your collection was, wasn't like amputating a limb it was more like a necrotic decay slow decay which is a good way to go through life <laughs> right this game's been played once in the last four years it doesn't matter it do, no matter how much i like that game as far as a collection for people to play it doesn't matter anymore. necrotic decay still sounds bad i think it's more like uh the old dead skin is is drying and falling off and the fresh new skin is coming up and growing isn't that what necrotic decay is <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the mushrooms, they just eat the, the old material and produce new glorious material. <laughs> I, um, I, I just think it's funny, too, because there's games that I really want and I really want to play. But the reality is, is that, you know, even though I'm starting to get out to game groups again, but when you show up at a game store, everybody's brought like three or four games that they really want to play. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, I don't want to force my game in. Everybody else wants to get mm-hmm. their games played. I'm happy to play what other people are liking. And then if I discover a game that really makes me happy and really is something I want to go back to, then I'll add it to my collection. Or once in a while, if something just gets me really excited, I'll pick it up and try to get it in. But doing that too often, like everybody's got five new games they bought this week or got delivered from Kickstarter that they want to get played in. And nobody gets to, you know, really discover those too deeply. Okay, I heard this to, I think it was the guys on Sporadically Board. They were talking about board game industry is kind of a pyramid scheme, right? So the new guys get into the hobby and they're like excited and pumped about games and they go out and they buy all these games and expand their collection. They're up to 50, 100 games or whatever. Whereas the guys that have been around longer, they're more picky about the games they're going to buy or maybe they've cold at that point and their game supply has shrunk. So I think that was kind of an interesting point that you get, you know, you develop your taste as a board game player and then you know what you want and you don't you don't want anymore you're kind of stop adding to your collection or maybe you'll buy a new occasional new game when it's when it suits you right but you're less you're more picky less propensity to buy new potentially not so good games what do you think about that yeah i think there is some truth to that it's funny because you know i follow board game twitter and board game facebook a bit and i listen to a lot of podcasts 
the board game industry thrives and all these publishers and, and designers thrive on people buying their new games. There's too many there for anybody to enjoy it. And it's nice. There's a variety, right? Mm-hmm. People can enjoy like, hey, you know, I like this type of game. So not Chris, he loves dudes on a map games. And there's a good 10 really amazing dudes on a map games that he could discover and buy and, and love. And, and he'd be thrilled with that, right? But all of these content creators and journalists and stuff, they're always like, oh, I played this game. So you got to get this game, you know, and it's just it, it kind of bugs me that it's so consumerism based of just like right. push the hot new thing, push the latest thing. I mean, we talk about games because we we love games. We love playing them. But I don't like that. It's just this constant like, oh, there's this new thing that's coming up on Kickstarter. I played mm-hmm. it. You got to check it out. You know, and it's just it's just pushed in your face all the time. But that's how they, you know, that's what publishers have to do. They've got to market and they got to tell people that you got to get this game or you're going to miss out on it, even though all five of your friends just bought it and they're all going to want to play their copies. So, well, to all of you listeners out there, if you got 200 plus games, I hope you're enjoying them. And, uh, you know, feel free to share some sh- shelfies with us. Show us pictures sure. of your collections. Yeah, beautiful. I, I'd love to see a collection of two, 200 games. Beautiful. That's, that's a cool thing to, uh, to get a chance to check out. All right. Well, let's jump into a description of Power Grid. In Power Grid, you're running competing power companies trying to build the most effective electricity grid across Germany or the United States by developing a network of cities that you supply, building unique power plants that run on different types of fuel, and trying to buy fuel at the lowest market prices. Each round is played over a series of phases. First, players take turns bringing one of four available plants to market and bidding on them. Once a player wins the bidding phase for that plant and adds it to their local tableau, a new plant is added to the choices. Each player may only have three power plants, so over the course of the game, they may replace less effective plants with newer ones that can power more cities and run on less fuel as technological advances are made. Each plant has a starting bid cost from 3 to 50, a fuel cost, and an indication of how many cities that plant can power. Generally, more expensive and effective plants will become available later in the game. In the second phase, players will take turns buying from an energy market that consists of four types of energy, coal, oil, recyclables, and plutonium. Those energy resources are lined up on a grid, and as resources are taken, the prices become higher. But over the course of the game, some resources will replenish, so the cost of a particular type of energy will depend a lot on how many players are buying them. Players can buy enough resources in a round to store double the amount of a particular resource each plant they own can consume. In the third phase, players can add additional cities to their network by paying the cost to add a city and any connection cost between their current network and the destination city. In the first phase of the game, only one player can add a connection per city, but after a player is connected to their seventh city, phase two begins, and a second player can build in any city at a slightly higher cost. After the power plant deck has been depleted to a specific spot, then the third phase begins, and a third player can build in each city at, again, a slightly higher cost. The connection costs between cities are printed on the board and are varying costs. If needed, a player can pay the cost across multiple connections if they can't or choose not to build in an adjacent city. In the fourth and final phase of the round, players can spend energy resources they own to power cities in their network and they get paid an income based on how many cities they powered. The player that has the most cities at the end of the round become the first player to auction in the next round, but will become the last player to buy energy and build cities, which will put them at a disadvantage. The game end is triggered when a player has built a certain number of cities, 17 in a three-player game, and whichever player has powered the most cities in that final round is the winner. Power Grid was designed by Friedman Fries and published in the U.S. by Rio Grande Games. All right, welcome back. So let's talk about Power Grid. We're going to start with gameplay and mechanisms here. And Steve, I want to start with you here. You've played this game quite a bit. 
give us your hot take here on what is the most interesting mechanism about Power Grid for you. The most interesting thing about Power Grid isn't one mechanism, but the fact that every mechanism in the game is interactive with the other players. No matter what you do in this game, you impact the other players. If you buy resources, you're impacting the other players. If you buy something at auction, you're impacting the other players. If you pass at auction, you're impacting the other players. If you build a city, you're impacting the other players. So every single thing you do impacts the other players. And that's my favorite thing about this game. Yeah, a lot of player interaction here. I totally agree, Steve. The interaction is fantastic. I friggin' love this game. And it's because of the interaction. There's a bunch of reasons, but the interaction is a big part of it for me. Another thing that stands out for me is the auction. It's so freaking cool mm-hmm. how this auction works. You know a little bit about what's coming up, so it gives you a sense of where to value the power plant that you're going to try to buy or that you're going to put up for auction. And you said it, Steve, like it kind of gets tight right when the price goes to about 10 above the face value of that power plant. So you have a decent sense, and you can gauge it because those, those bottom four power plants that are coming up next potentially they give you some kind of valuation on the one that you're bidding on currently so i think the auction here is is pretty outstanding what about you tim what do you have yeah well i wanted to comment on the the auction first of all i do really enjoy it it's it's always interesting decisions the four that are available and knowing what's coming up next is a hard choice about like do i bid on this thing when i know as soon as i buy if i win that one then a better one's going to come up or more likely a better one's going to come up but that's one of the interesting things about the auction is that you don't know for sure because the next card that comes up could be a lower numbered card a lower value card in the Mm -hmm. auction and all of a sudden the one you got was the best the best option so it's a really tough choice but the choices that you get to make in that auction about the cost that you're paying but also the resources that it costs to generate however number buildings and what the market is for those resources how competitive is the market and that leads into what i think is the most interesting part about this Mm -hmm. game which is the market with it there are four types of resources that can power your your plants you've got coal oil uh, trash, you know, which this would be like a recycling plant, I assume, or something like that. Um, and then plutonium. And the market at the beginning of the game starts out where coal is very cheap, you know, a buck per coal. And then oil is a little bit more expensive, but trash is really expensive because you know where we start out here. Go ahead, Adam, you want to jump in? I'm going to give a quick, quick shout out to renewables. That's kind of the fifth energy, if you like. So there's a few power plants. You don't have to pay any resources for them to work. You just use hydroelectric or the the wind or whatever you just pay the upfront costs and then you got your energy for free yeah that's a good point although that doesn't impact the market at all because there is no well me it does it does uh, kind it of does. in a, in a way because if somebody's yeah. got a lot of renewables then they're not impacting the market and so you can you know you're going to get the other stuff cheaper which is which is right are fun. you going to pay 50 for a hydroelectric or are you going to pay 35 for oil that powers just as many and the oil is super yeah. cheap? But what's what's great about this market is that all of the resources that are available to players are lined up across these little the, these little tables at the bottom of the board. And as people take resources from those markets, then they get more expensive. As they go up groups, they get more expensive. And it's so fun to watch that market over the course of the game. If the first round, two people bid on coal plants and one person bids on an oil plant, that oil is going to stay a lot cheaper for the rest of the game while the coal is going to be competitive. And you get this shifting throughout the game where the next round, nobody wants to bid on a coal plant because coal is expensive. So let's bid on recycling and, you know, that's a little bit cheaper or let's get some oil because Steve's getting away with all this cheap oil. 
Uh, so that market is just so well done. It's it's probably a little fiddly, I would guess, in person. We we played on Tabletop Simulator, the couple of games that I've played of it. The way that it works and the way that you interact with it is just so, it's so smooth. How did you feel about that from, you know, when you're playing with it, Steve, is that market a pain to work with or is it is it pretty easy to move those resources around all the time? The market's not too bad at all. The money is actually a much bigger problem, <laughs> yeah. honestly, because the, the market you only deal with at the end of the round. You've got a list. Is there already in phase two? Okay, we do these four things. We're done. So okay. refilling the market, as long as you remember to do it every time, <laughs> is not a problem. But dealing with that Monopoly money is the only thing I don't like about this game. I love everything else about the game, but yeah. Yeah, yeah we'll get into that in production for sure, because I, I think that's a, a big thing to call out. But no, restocking the the resource houses are not a problem. Yeah, that, so that's for me, you know, that market is really the driving factor, and it kind of drives the economy of the whole thing. Like, depending on how much you have to pay for power, that tells you how much power, how much money you have to spend on building new factories. And how much money you have to spend on the next auction. And if I buy this, if I pay more in this auction, am I going to have the money to power my power plant? So that that whole economy and how everything is kind of interconnected between those pieces, I think this game does it really well. Agreed. Agreed. The market's cool. It's It sort of reminds me of Brass Birmingham a little bit, how it kind of fluctuates. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's no kind of phases in Brass Birmingham. It just kind of refills and depletes kind of organically as players take their turn or flip their little iron plants or coal plants or whatever they're using. I think you were making some comparisons. Maybe we'll jump into that later, Tim, but you were saying that Martin Wallace might have taken some inspiration from Power Grid. Yeah, I did say that. These are the two games that I've gotten the experience with an economy like that. I agree. It does have a a similar feel, and I really like it. That was one of my favorite things about Brass was that coal and iron economy. It has that nice supply and demand like built in, and it it feels so good. It feels so like how it should work. It's really neat clever mm-hmm. yeah so power grid is a few years earlier power grid came out in 2004 and brass uh lancashire came out in 2007 okay. so you know he may or may not have been influenced here but um definitely both of them do something really unique you know we were talking about this a little bit on how why are we not seeing more games that have an economy like this and my honest feeling here is that it is just done so elegantly in this game it's just you know the the way everything ties together and works it's quick and easy to teach. It's quick and easy to play. It's not complicated, but it's it just is perfect. Yeah, I could imagine if anybody tried to take this similar type of mechanism and do something with it today, it'd probably end up like overly complicated. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if that's why nobody's done it because they probably played with it and just but Power Grid's still better than what I just put together, you know. Um, so I I think that's that's a feat that this game was out in two thousand four and still really stands out with. Uh, with a mechanism set like this. All right, regarding the interaction in this, my question for mostly Tim, but I wanna hear Steve's take too. So comparing to this to something like Lost Ruins of Arnak or Anachrony, the interaction and the feel I get, you know, you're actually playing against the players more so than the game system or, you know, resource management style. At least that's the sense I get from this game. And that's what elevates this game for me above those games. Do you guys, What's your take on the interaction here and your preference, I guess the puzzle and how it feels on your brain of Power Grid versus like Lost Ruins or Anachrony? Well, so my initial thought is that even though the decisions might end up being more interesting in a game like Anachrony, one of the things I like about Power Grid is that within limitations, you know you can do something if you have enough money. 
yeah, maybe you want to buy that 17 cost power plant, but if you have $30, you can buy some kind of power plant. So you just have to hedge that money a little bit and it's the constant mm -hmm. resource throughout the game, right? You have to have money to buy power plants and to build cities. And so, and that's something that I clearly mismanaged this particular <laughs> game. I did not have enough income to generate cash to build cities. So that was definitely a failing. So I'm going to say, Adam, that obviously there's a lot of fun to be had when you are trash talking people and what you do impacts other people and you get to you get to mess with them. Right. There's there's definitely fun to be had with that. It can also be frustrating because you do lose some control over what you can do. But that's part of the game here. And I think it's handled really well. I mean, there are definitely games where you're trying to do some planning and the interaction gets in the way of the fun for me. Um, that doesn't happen with Power Grid. I, I think it's not so negative. You know, if somebody buys up, you know, three extra oil that they needed to, it just costs you three extra bucks probably, right? And so it's not, it's not the end of the world, but it does, the economy's tight and it does have some impact. And it's, and it's just like, oh, that's so frustrating. They got to it before me. I wish I would have had that. But it's not so frustrating to where it's like, I can't do what I wanted to do for the most part, right? And the right. auctioning is the same way. You know, people do outbid you, but you're maybe yep. you pay ten bucks over your over the the sticker price or something like that. And everyone kind of seems to fall into like, oh, I feel like I'm just getting a little too expensive. So I'm gonna uh -huh. I'm gonna back off now, um, right before it feels like it's too expensive for you. So I think that the interaction is fun and it works really well here. But I, I'm going to lead that into one of the two negatives I had with the I have with the game. Did you have anything else to mention about the interaction before I get into that, though? It's what maybe f five to ten bucks of missing out. Like if somebody buys that oil before you, just to put a number on it, right? It's so thin, it's so tight. Like you're saying that at the end of the game, that two bucks made a big difference for me, or at least a small, a, somewhat of a difference for building another city. So these little, you know, these sure tiny cuts throughout the game add up to a nice sum at the end of the game, which I think is fantastic. But the nice thing is you can pivot too, right? If somebody's, you know, like being a jerk and taking all the oil from you, then next time go and buy a, mm -hmm. a recycling plant or a clean energy plant and you don't have to worry about the, you know, like replace your oil plant that you had before. So you've got an opportunity to pivot if things are not going your way because of that player. Right? It's a constant like chess match and butt of heads. It's pretty neat. It's really cool. Yeah, exactly. So I want to talk about the, the one... I, I know that this is put here to make this game competitive throughout, but the one thing that I that I don't think I like about the game, and this is after two plays, is the the catch-up mechanism that's built in here. And it's it's pretty heavy, but basically the idea that turn order is determined based on who has built the most factories. Doesn't even matter if you can power them, but if you've built the most factories. So whoever has the most goes first in the auction but they go last in buying power and they go last in building buildings. Pretty big negative. And it can actually be as close as like two people can have the same number of buildings, but one person has a slightly more expensive power plant on their thing. It costs a lot. It's, it's a very big negative that you have to auction first and that you have to buy energy last and that you have to buy houses last. There's a trade-off, of course. If you're in the lead in, in power plants, then of course you're, you're powering them, then you're going to get more income coming in. So that's what the benefit is there. But this just feels like a constant, I don't want to do well, because if I do well, then other people are going to get the better options and everything is going to cost me. And it's frustrating. It's frustrating to me for someone who likes to just drive and say, like, I want to make the right decision every round to, to help me extend my lead. 
But this game, it's not the right choice a lot of the time. A lot of the time, it's not the right choice to do well. Um, and it, that doesn't sit well with me. How do you guys feel about that that mechanism and how it plays into the game? So I just have two comments about it. First of all, you were in the lead from almost the beginning of the game, which is why you felt this immense pressure on you the entire game. And last game, too. And you still won. There's a reason that that uh, mechanism is necessary. Because otherwise, if you were in the lead that much, there's no other catch-up mechanism in the game. Yeah. If there was an alternate catch-up mechanism, fine. But there just isn't, so you have to have it, or else you would just run away with it. And I think the second part of it is maybe a little bit thematic, right? Like, you don't necessarily want to be general electric, general electric, right, in terms of, like, drawing attention to yourself and uh, legislation and stuff like that. So maybe it's not so good to be the, the big guy right out. Definitely, yeah. Billionaires never want more billions. <laughs> they, they always want to make sure other people are ahead of them. I don't have a problem with, with that mechanism. It is a little weird at first, but... You just, that's part of the game and you just adjust to it. Now, Steve, did you, did, you know, you ended up pretty far in the back in this game. Did, was it, <laughs> did, big do you feel like that was driven by your intent of staying behind at the beginning and then that ended up hurting you over the course of the game? Like, you know, have you had intentionally bought more buildings early? You, you might have done better, but, you know, was that intentional or did you just not have the money to buy more buildings early in the game? It was kind of two, threefold. Like at the very beginning, like first power plant that I really wanted was probably out of my budget and I bought it anyway and that was great because it let me power stuff really cheaply and then another power plant came up that was probably out of my budget but was great and I loved every single one of my power plant purchases but I just wasn't saving enough cash <laughs> left over to actually uh, build cities to power with those power plants like that was i'm pretty sure that was my favorite power plant selection i've ever had at the end of the game but to no effect yeah that was rad by the end of the game you were steve was just steve just skipped over the last two power purchase uh phases he didn't, i'm just like i'm just buying green he power. didn't need to buy any resources because he was just powering like well you only had eight cities though so it wasn't that hard to right power that's, the problem. The that's power. the problem right <laughs> so it was just kind of a domino effect i yeah I uh, I invested too heavily in power plants at the beginning of the game because I had I felt like they were good, really good purchases. But then I kept doing it, and that didn't work out. I love this catch-up mechanism um, for a guy like me that sometimes games don't come right away. Like I'm I'm kind of dumb when it comes to learning games. So we played it for the first time uh, last week or two weeks ago, and it took me a while to figure out what was going on, and it. But then by the time I did sort of figure out, it wasn't too late for me. I could still buy those nice power plants and pick up on the cheap resources and power my stuff and catch up. So from that perspective, it's nice. But also, like Steve said, it is part of the game. Like if you're going to be in the lead, you better know what's going to happen. You're going to kind of hose yourself in all these different ways. So you can plan it out. You can. It gives you enough information, I think, to if you're going to try to walk that tightrope of being in the lead, you can plan it out and try to figure it out and and make it happen. And you did a really nice job of it tonight, Tim, like hanging on. I tried getting for you at the end, but I couldn't catch up. So I don't know. You know what? This game's right. not hiding it's... anything from you. You know you're going to you know you're gonna get 
beat up if you're in the lead. So I think it's great. There's a there's a term for that, right? It's like open information. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the money's hidden. The money is hidden. But other than that, like everything mm-hmm. else is yeah. open. One of the things I did get a chance to play around with this time, which I liked. On my first play, I think it felt like, okay, I've got this much money. This is how many resources I'm going to buy. And that'll leave me enough to buy this many things, you know, this many houses. And the catch-up mechanism does allow you to play a little bit where you don't have to optimize on the houses because it's not necessarily the best idea. But there were some rounds where I, I bought up twice as much um, coal as I needed to because I was planning to auction for a more for a bigger coal plant the next round, which would have let me use that coal to power more stuff. And I did that. And Adam's like, what do you do? Why are you spending more for that coal than you actually need at this point? That was pretty smooth. Yeah, that was nice. But I literally was trying to buy out the market so that in the next few rounds where I knew I was going to be using a lot of coal, I wouldn't be competing with Adam for it. And he'd have to pay more in the next round for it. So I got to play around with that. And that seemed to work out pretty well. I also planned around some of those auctions the round before. And at some point, I built up enough power in my city that I felt like that was going to be all I needed. And so I was able to kind of stay out of the last two auction rounds. I actually jumped in once just to raise the price on something I knew you guys would want, but I was able to kind of step away and use that money at the end to build houses. So it was fun to just kind of play and say like, okay, you know, do I really want to spend everything I can right now? Or do I want to hold back or spend in this place and save in this place? And how is that going to work out? And I think there's a lot to play with in this economy. It's it's pretty fun. Were you, did you jump in on the hydroelectric to get the price? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, me yeah, too. I mean, I wouldn't. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and Steve took and it. Steve bought it. I already had spent all my money. On <laughs> I mean, it would have been nice to have that plant. It probably would have about you know broke even in the last two or three rounds but i didn't need it you know it wasn't really going to give me that much more power ultimately though if adam had had a little more cash he he ended up building overbuilding from where i was so it was it was closer than i expected it to be i thought i was going to be able to finish off that game at a pretty solid lead and it was pretty close to adam be able to catch up to me um at the end there if i wouldn't have bought that plant for 59 dollars, i probably could have built three more cities and actually yeah, two or three you would have gotten up to 11 <laughs> buying that plant for no reason i couldn't even power the ones i had they were full of energy already so well know. you know it's so nice that you invested in that green infrastructure it was and it's so pretty you got to buy that 50 if you can another mechanism that I wasn't a hugest fan of is the in-game scoring on this one. It seems a little weird to me that the winner is the person who can power the most cities at the end. I guess they have to pick something to be the winning criteria. I don't know why it's not just most money in hand at the end. I don't know. Maybe that doesn't, the math doesn't work out right or something like that. But what do you guys think of that, that winning the in-game, I guess the winning criteria, not just the in-game for 17 with three players, 17 cities, but yeah. I was thinking about that too, Adam, and I, I think it makes sense. And the reason is, is because if it weren't for the way that they put that end game situation together, the last round, the last turn of the game or last round of the game would be pretty like non-thematic. And let's say that the winning condition was who built the most houses. Then the right decision is don't buy any resources in the last round so you can spend money on houses. Right. Well, that's not fun because now you've got a whole bunch of power plants that aren't powering anything. Um, or if it's the most money, then you just don't buy any resources again. So I, I think it makes sense that you the whole point is to be powering plants. If you have to be able to power the most plants, I think that's I think that's kind of cool. And I like that someone could buy up and try to push the end game. I almost did. You know, I, the the previous round I had gotten to sixteen power plants, and if I'd saved a little bit of money, mm-hmm. I could have gotten it to seventeen and pushed the end game. And I might have won that round, but I think I could have powered thirteen even if I had seventeen. 
Adam might have been able to power 14. And I think that's kind of cool that it just, you know, it didn't allow me to just kind of push the end game without being able to actually afford all the stuff that I built up. Yeah, it, it's a built in, I don't know if it was intentional or not, but it's sort of a built in prevention against that rapid building. Because if you spend all of your money building houses, you're not spending the auctioning and the resource gathering money to power those houses. So it's really neat. Yeah. I think I see what you're saying though, Adam, because the idea that if you had been able to run the last phase and get the money from the last phase of power plants and then have the most money, eh, that probably would have worked okay as well, I guess. Maybe it's cool. I just have to play with that in my brain a little bit more. It seems like he makes some good, he has made some good points about it. It just was a little different to me how they, how they came up with that. So I'll mention the one that kind of leads me to the one other thing that I haven't loved on my first two plays. And again, this is just two plays. So, you know, this could change out over time. Maybe Steve can speak to this a little bit. But in both plays, it felt like the game ramps up nicely and that catch-up mechanism keeps everybody, you know, kind of competitive. But in both games, it felt like it came down to the last round and it was who could power one more plant, you know, or build one more plant. It was so close after all that effort and work. Steve felt it behind on this game, but on the first (laughs) game that we played, we all got to like, I think we all hit 17 plants and then like Adam was able to power 17 and we were able to power 16 or something like that. Like both games felt too close at the end in a way you know i don't hate it if that's something that's going to happen occasionally but if that always ramps up to that point because of that catch-up mechanism it gets to that point where i'm like why did i just play for two hours if it really comes down to this last round and everything's built towards this that's that's a little again that i think that's goes back to the catch-up mechanism and what's frustrating to me about it that's that's been after a couple plays i could be wrong but not all of that is from that single catch-up mechanism Right. Being in first does give you a disadvantage. Being in last does also give you a slight advantage. But there are other mechanisms that shift throughout the game that you also have to take advantage of. And being in lead isn't necessarily conductive to that. Like people can tell where you're going if you build first. They're going to target you if you have the most buildings. So, you know, not all of it's necessarily that one mechanism, but granted. It, what, it is generally very tight when I've played. I haven't played a lot of three-player games. But clearly, if you make bad decisions, the mechanisms aren't going <laughs> to just save you. They're going to cost right? you. It's, it's not magic. It's like <laughs> still lost badly. So, yeah. Yeah, this, Tim, I agree. This does kind of have, kind of like Pan Am has this kind of thing. Everyone has the same amount of shares in, in, in Pan Am at the end, or usually... And then it comes down to who has the most money left over. Like, oh, why did I just do all this rigmarole if it's just going to come down to five bucks versus yeah. two bucks at the end? Yeah. So. Yeah, that's and, and it's interesting. So like a game like this where, you know, you're basically playing to 17 power plants or right around there, 17, 18, 19, maybe you get up to 20. I don't know if, that, if that's possible. It probably is. Versus something like Dune Imperium where you're just playing to 10 points and it, it often comes to tiebreakers, but it feels so much more meaningful. And I think it's because the way you get to those points comes in so many different ways and you just have to struggle for each one of them. And this just feels like everyone's going to build up over the course of the game and the people that are building up the fastest are going to have a rougher time later on. So other people are going to catch up and yeah, that's, that's it. I, you know, again, I I had fun playing both games, but both of them felt a little anticlimactic at the end because it came down to such a tight tiebreaker. It comes back to like two or three bucks. If you can eke out that two or three bucks each round, then the cumulative effect at the end might have you taking it all. 
So it's kind of, it's very tight. Yeah. And I guess that's interesting. Yeah. So it makes the auctions Mm -hmm. more valuable. It makes the economy more useful. The one last thing I don't think we've talked about in mechanisms is the map. Um, How do you guys feel about the, you know, kind of the build out on the map mechanism? I like it when it goes my way. (laughs) (laughs) It's interesting, right? So it has the regions all divided up and for three players, three regions. It adds some asymmetry to the game, you know, so it's not totally, you know, the same for all players. Some regions are going to have easier cities to connect to, cheaper cities to connect to initially, and then some regions are going to have more expensive connections. So I don't know, does it matter? Like by the end of the game, does it... I feel like it maybe just all balances out. So if you want to build cities early, go in the cheap area. And if you want to build cities late, go, I don't know. So I don't have a good sense. What's your take, Tim? Yeah, the only thing that that kind of um, intrigues me and frustrates me about it is that it seems really interesting, right? If you're the first one to build in the city, it costs you 10. If you're the second one after phase, after the second area starts, it costs you 15. And in the third area, you can build for 20 if you're the third one. So it sounds like you want to rush to them, right? But there's some ways to rush to them by like building over somebody else's city and having to pay through two pipeline costs. But basically you're saving yourself five bucks to rush ahead. You know, like you're getting to another space and saving yourself five bucks, but maybe you just had to pay 20 bucks to get there. I don't know that the value, especially because the fact that you're gonna have a a negative if you get more cities than other people, it seems intriguing, it seems interesting. And I'm sure there's a fun puzzle there to say like, where should I start my city? Where can I optimize it? And things like that. But um, I think that whole idea of having more cities is a bad thing in, in the, for the most part. It doesn't really incent you to spend extra money to you know, rush ahead and build in front of people to save a few bucks later on. So Steve, you played this game at four players, right? There's only room for three cities in each city or three power plants or whatever you want to call it in each city. So at four players, somebody gets blocked out. That third city comes up. You can't build there anymore. Right. How was it like at four? Uh, well, it's very slow, <laughs> depending <laughs> on the speed of the players that you're playing with. But no, um, yeah, you're right. The The board gets super tight really fast, especially during phase one, because even though there's more areas, it's really easy to get blocked off into a corner. Then you got to pay extra to jump over them, and it just gets really expensive. To Tim's point about how he's not sure if paying that extra cost to get to the unoccupied city is worth it, I think the answer to that is what's on the other side of that city, right? If it's a dead end and you're just going to get one more city, probably not worth it. But if it leads you to an area where you could potentially get some cheaper connections, then maybe it is worth it. And so that's one of the other little cheap stuff in there. Did I answer your question? I forgot what it was. (laughs) yeah that that does yeah i think so i think so and especially especially i would guess if you're playing four players and there's a bigger map to explore there and i I do like i do like the idea like with three players the map hasn't felt too tight yeah we're starting to step on each other's toes but we can all build in every city for a few bucks more but when you're at four players there are going to be people blocked out of certain cities there's gonna be that race element with four players you know you want to get somewhere sooner it's gonna be a lot cheaper if you can get there first rather than later you might have to get really stung with the pipeline fees going through a city and not be able to place your your dude there yeah that makes it i think that'll that would make it more interesting or you know maybe we've just kind of stayed away from each other we could get in front of each other a little bit more so maybe an experienced player will do that you can yeah depending on the situation we've we've been pretty hands-off like stay in our own area as much as possible not everyone plays that way and not every map plays that way all right well let's talk about the production of power grid 
I wanted to start with one feature, and that is that when I had previously just seen some pictures online of this game, it it looked to me like it was going to feel very dry, just a, a map of networks and stuff like that. But I actually really like the artwork in this game. Not only the artwork on the power plants, which has this realistic but kind of a cartoony feel to them, which I really like that style and I think it works really well here, but the map itself also has that style throughout it when you look closely at it, the detail. And I just like it. It just works really well for me. It doesn't feel outdated. It doesn't feel too cartoony. It doesn't feel too serious. So it has a really fun, for what is a really a dry theme, like the driest of dry themes, building power plant networks. I like what they did to just give it a little bit of a fun flair to it. So I really like the artwork here. What do you guys think? Does the artwork work for you? I love the artwork, man. It is. It reminds me of this era of board games. It's kind of, I don't want to say the early 2000s board game artwork, but it has that feel to it of a kind of a bygone, like classic board game era to me. So it's cool. All the uh, like there's rivets on all these like pipes and you can see like rusted pipes and wires running through them. And it's fantastic. Yeah, I totally agree, Tim. The artwork really works for me. It might not look the most pleasing from a first, you know, superficial view, but you look further into it and it's it's just cool. I don't know. What do you think, Steve? Well, really quick, that's interesting that you said that it feels like it's from a bygone era to you, because to me, it feels like this could have been, you know, like the production to me almost looks like it could have been done today like i don't i was expecting more of a dry euro poorly drawn look to it and this stuff all looks to me really it, it works it, it it gives it just the right touch that feels more fresher to me so it's almost ticket to ride ish i don't know if you look at like the america one i feel like it has a bit of a ticket to ride feel from the map and it's definitely doesn't compare for me with something like brass birmingham the artwork in brass birmingham so i don't know like, I still really enjoy it, and I think it's cool, and it works. I think it has that early 2000s trademark, I'd say. I, I mean, I'd say the color palette is intentionally, like, 1960s, 1970s. Yeah, exactly. Even though the some of the font work is newer and the lines are crisp, like, I don't know, it definitely seems to be intentionally drawing you back to a bygone era, as it were. And then, you know, you start with coal plants, and then you work your way towards the future. And- the artwork makes me think of like a 70s or an 80s production, but I love it all. Like I have no complaints about it. It's easy to, like, there's no problems with like colors or readability or anything like that. It's great. So now I'm looking at a picture here on Board Game Geek. Steve, maybe you can speak to this. Is Does it come with like a little auction stand? It looks like there's something that folds up and you put the little tiles up there and have a little display case. The one that I've played was a very, very old edition purchased at a little stand where the author in Chicago was selling their game. And like they had a little booth at the Chicago Game Board Festival. No way. And a friend of mine bought it and it literally sat in the closet with his other 50 games for a long time. 10, 10 years. You think he bought it from Friedman Freeze? Friedman Freeze was sitting there at the game convention? I, how would we know? Designer? That was a long time ago. Right? <laughs> it was like... probably, probably a representative of the publisher. But... Probably. But anyway, yeah, it was just a little booth and we bought it, or he bought it, and then it sat in the closet for seven years. And then one day he was like, hey, what about this game we never played? And we're like, yeah. And that was, yeah. So. It's funny because I'm trying to look through the pictures on Board Game Geek, and like 90% of the pictures are people with like their own power plants that they've created <laughs> or, or like upgrades that they've put on it. So obviously, people have a passion for this game over a long period of time. Steve, how are the, how are the resources? Are they, are they plastic 
or they wood? What, what are the resources made out of? They're shaped wood. So like the trash can is a cylinder. Coal is a square. They're wood pieces. They're, uh, the oil and coal are a little hard to distinguish, just like they're in the real game. But the shapes are a little easier to tell apart. Okay. Yeah, the only other thing that's a little confusing is that in the production that I've played, the wooden player tokens, they're also wood and they use the same color palettes as some of the resources. So the yellow player's tokens look like trash cans and the red player's tokens look like plutonium. You know, some games like the player tokens are wood, like Scythe, right? You can tell what the unit can do based on its material. And in this one, they're all just wood. They're, they're nice to handle, right? That wood's fun to play with. And Steve, you mentioned earlier the Monopoly money. How is that uh, working for this game for you? It's a lot of making change for ones and fives and tens. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a lot of handling dollar bills back and forth. Yeah, paper money is not fun at all. This definitely, and that's a that's probably a product of its era, of its time. Let's kickstart an upgraded version of this with nicely shaped resources and poker chips. Yeah. Anything else to say about the production, you guys? To save the people a few clicks on Board Game Geek, it says there's 29 expansions. They have Middle East, South Africa. There's a ton of expansions. A bunch of different maps. It's like all over the world. There's like some little modules, industrial espionage, and taxes. So little supplements you can add to the game. All right, well, let's talk about favorite moments of the game tonight. So, Adam, what was your favorite moment of this experience? Or, or what was a, a moment that stood out to you, even if you hated it? Coming down to that last round was one, just in general, I was just talking some mad trash this game. This game gets me fired up. It's such high interaction. And if I can, like, screw Steve out of two bucks, I don't know why that makes me feel so good. Or if Tim's coming at me and he... You know, Steve got me with some uranium and he just like took three uranium or something. So that upped the price by like, I don't know, five, six bucks for my one measly uranium that I needed to power my guys. So just moments like that are just hilarious to me in this game and they crop up all the time. But I think coming down to that last round there, Tim, was pretty fun, pretty intense. I suspected that you had it in the bag, but I had bought a power plant so I could power up to... 19 power plants at that point so i at least had you sweating a little bit i think because you can only power up to 17 or 18 18. i could do 18 yeah Yeah, so but what i was only able to get i don't know 15 or you know i was only able to power 15 or build that many houses i think you got up to 17 so yeah you did have me sweating when i saw you could build that many i was worried because i knew i could only hit 18 and i wasn't even sure i could could build in power up to 18, although I did. Right. And i could have actually built the 19th but i couldn't power it so if you would have had the the cash to build those last two those last two locations, you would have been good. That was a fun little economic kind of puzzle for me. Am I going to be able to buy this power plant and then get the resources and still build the houses and able to surpass Tim on this final round? And it came close, like sort of close. You, you had this one for sure, but it was a nice kind of thrilling little moment for me. What about you, Steve? Any favorite moments tonight? Just buying such awesome power plants. I was just having a blast. Like that was the best <laughs> power plant ever. I'm going to buy it. I don't care. Yeah. No, uh, but uh, towards the end of the game, even though my I was like behind, like I was starting, my engine was starting to build some momentum. I could actually build some cities. I didn't need to buy any more resources. That was fun. Like I literally didn't need to buy any resources for like four turns. So it was just a few turns too late. I just uh, yeah, tried to ramp up too fast. And that's all. Yeah. So I had a couple things. Just one I'll mention, um, and Adam alluded to this, but we're like one turn into the game and people are just starting to 
like pick what power they're going to buy and adam starts like swearing like crazy at every decision that everybody's making so <laughs> like i don't think i've ever seen adam that feisty so there's it, definitely the game has some fun moments from that interaction that comes but i think my favorite moment of the game tonight and i mentioned how you know it, it annoys me that there's a heavy catch-up mechanism and it doesn't i don't like it that it seems like everyone's going to end close but when we're coming into the second to last round and I'm at like 16 plants and Adam's at 15. You know, it's probably going to end on the next round. And I look at Steve sitting at eight, eight power plants. At that point. <laughs> and it just cracked me up because like the whole game, it seemed like he had the energy market cornered. Like he was always buying the cheapest energy. Yeah. He always, he had like free energy and I was just like expecting him to run away with the game. And he's sitting there at eight power plants. And I was yeah. Like, so okay. that catch up mechanism <laughs> didn't hurt you too bad. Did it? <laughs> Yeah, I had to work extra hard to win yeah. that one, though. Yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah. Okay, well, it sounds good. Uh, would you request to play this game again, Steve? Yeah, not tomorrow, because we played it a couple weeks ago, and then I played it in person, <laughs> and then we played it tonight, which I love this game. But uh, yeah, eventually I would definitely ask to play it again. This, it's one of my top 50 games, for sure. Would it have made your top 10 list if you joined us last week for our top 10 games of all time? <sighs> Don't think too. Probably no. not. It's not on my shelf. Okay. <laughs> But I do like it. What about you, Adam? Would you request to play Power Grid again? Absolutely. This game is fantastic. I think it's you know it's rapidly encroaching on my top twenty, top ten games. It's moving up quick. So yeah, I would say at least I don't know if if in ideal circumstances where I had unlimited access to board game groups, I'd want to play this game like I don't know once, twice a month and add it to the add it to the circulation. So yeah, this game's fantastic. I might have to go pick it up. What about you, Tim? Cool. Cool. I like this game a lot. And, uh, you know, the things we talked about, the market mechanism, the um, the auction, that's all really fun. The game's really fun. But the couple things that I have as negatives about it, I think keep it out of me wanting to go search it out. There are other games that don't give me some of those those negatives. That said, maybe those things, they fall off over time. I had a good time playing this both times we played it so far. I expect you guys will be wanting to play it more in a rotation. I'm happy to. I think it's a great game. I think it's a really strong game that does some things in fun and interesting ways that I haven't seen in other games. So I really like it. I probably won't be requesting it anytime soon, but I could see coming back and saying, hey, we haven't played this for six months. I, I, I want to check that out again. Let's play it. So maybe sometime in the future, um, but this isn't going to be a, a first choice for me. Yeah. Computer aloofness aside on my part, mostly, how long did this game take us to play tonight? I think it was an hour and 45 for us to get through. We had a couple interruptions though. And yeah. you know, some of the challenges with, cause I, yeah, I think that's about right. It's so not too bad. It, it went pretty quickly once we all knew the game. It seemed relatively brisk. Yeah. And by the end of it, we were scooting right along with the, this was a very nicely scripted version. We think it's nicely scripted version on TTS. We got the flow going pretty nice by the end of it. So I thought yeah. it was pretty good. Yeah. I think it's worth the time. I mean, I, I definitely don't regret, you know, the couple, couple hours we put into it. It's, it's a fun one. All right. Sounds good. Well, I think that'll wrap up our conversation on Power Grid. We're going to talk about some things we're excited about in the world of board gaming right after this. Great, welcome back. So let's start by talking about some games that we've been playing this week. If you guys have anything interesting to, to chat about, um, I play. I got a chance to play a few new games that were new to me this weekend that I'll mention fairly quickly. So I'm going to start with one and then I'll hand it off to one of you guys. The game I think I had the most fun with this weekend. Um, I've only played it one time, and that was Isle of Sky from Chieftain to King is the full name of it. Alexander Fister design. It looks like he co-designed with Andreas Pelican. 
and this was published by Lookout Games. Um, this is a really fun, fairly fairly straightforward, you know, kind of low midweight game. Uh, it's rated a 2.25 on BGG, but it's basically a tile building game. It's, you know, kind of you're, you're building tiles, putting them together. Think Carcassonne style type of thing. And you're trying to meet certain conditions. Um, there's two things that are really cool about this game. One is that the way you get your tiles at the beginning of the round, everybody takes three tiles out of a bag, puts them in front of them. And then behind a blind screen, they decide the value of those tiles. They're going to mark one of those tiles are going to be thrown away and they're going to set the price on the other two by paying their own money, putting their own money behind the screen next to each of those tiles. So for example, I can set the price for one of the tiles to be two gold and I just put two gold behind it and I could set another one to be five gold. I put five gold behind it. When I remove the screen before I can take any of those tiles, everybody goes around and gets to buy one tile from somebody else at the table and it can be the tile in front of you, but they have to pay the price that you set on that tile. So if I set five gold on that and somebody else wants it, they give me five gold and I get to keep the five gold I put behind it. If my tiles don't get bought though, I have to pay the price that I set on them. So it's a pretty interesting way to kind of determine the market. How valuable is this tile? So I like that a lot. The other part that I really love though, and this goes back to what I love about Gaia Project, is that there are randomly drawn at the beginning of every game four end round scoring bonuses. And the game is played over, I think, six rounds. But in the first round, only one of the bonuses scores. And so in the first round, you're kind of going after this one bonus. In the second round, a different one scores. In the third round, two, two bonuses score. And it escalates. Over the course of the game, each of the bonuses is going to get scored three times, but at different times. So you're always kind of trying to get different tiles at different points of the game to score at the right time and get the benefit from it. Really, really fun. Loved it. I think there's a lot of game playing here because of the variability of the bonus tiles. And um, I, I'm really excited to play this again. My wife played it with me and a couple friends we had, and she loved it. She's like, you got to pick this one up. So I wow. think I'll be adding this one to our collection, and it'll be bumping something else out pretty quickly here. Um, so that's the first one. Have you guys gotten a chance to play anything new this week? Well, and so Alexander Fister, he did Maracaibo, is that right? And Great Western Trail, are those his? Yep, and Broom Service, and Oh My Goods. And yeah, so he's, he's done a ton of designs. Okay, so for me, no, I haven't played anything new this week. I've just been cleaning my house and taking care of babies. <laughs> All right. What about, what about you, Steve? Yeah. Um, well, I'll just kind of talk about the last two weeks just because I've played more games than usual or more games than usual recently. First one I'll mention is The Mind. It's a collective game where you basically have cards, I don't know, one through a hundred, I think. Yeah. And depending on how many players there are, you take some cards out. But basically, you go around the table and you have to try to guess who at the table has the lowest card, and that person has to play the lowest card. And if somebody plays out of order, you all get penalized. And You can either win if you all guess correctly for a certain number of turns. You get lives, and you have a weapon you can use once in a while. And it's just a, it's just a fun non-game. Hey, Adam, have you ever played The Mind? I have not ever played in mine. I don't think I want to. What about, what do you think? Yeah, so I have I have played this game and every single group that I've ever introduced to loved it. I, really? I can't tell you how many people bought mm-hmm. a copy of The Mine because I introduced it as like a quick little filler game that we could play. Um, yeah, you know, that is a, that's one of those games where you're like, is this a game or is it just an activity you're doing? Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a game, it's a co-op game. What Steve didn't mention is that nobody is allowed to talk um, while you're, you know, during the, obviously you can have conversation that's unrelated to the game. You're not supposed to be saying or giving any hints at all about what you have. And so the game really comes down to how long do I pause 
where I think somebody else is pausing so long that I must have the next number in the thing. Yep. And the first time you play, you're going to fail on the second you know, the second card or the third card you play. Mm-hmm. But after you play with the group for a few rounds, you, tr- you try that first hand a few times. And then all of a sudden, you're starting to realize, well, if I've got one that's 10 numbers away and so everyone else is pausing like you know, yeah. five, six, seven seconds, yeah. then I think it's I must have the one. And you'll see people starting to like, Oh, should I put it out? Okay, I'm gonna put it out, and then oh, you were one number off for me, and oh, it actually wow. gets it's really it, it turns into a lot of fun, um, a lot of fun moments that can happen out of it. I, I would assume with the right group, I would think there are some groups that this is going to be a huge fail for. But I've had fun playing it. We interested several people at one point. I just gave it to a friend and said, "Here, you keep it." You know, we we played it enough. But then we've been in several other situations where we had some friends over, and my wife's like, "Let's get the mind out because these guys would love that." And I'm like, "I don't have it anymore." So I'm thinking about nice. picking up a second <laughs> copy. You know, what? I'm convinced. I want to try this game. I think a couple, uh, you get a couple beers in you, and you start getting this game out. It could get pretty re- wacky. It seems seems pretty fun. It's fun. It, it it is. Steve, did you enjoy it? Did you have fun with it? Yeah, this was my second play. First play with this group of people, none of them had played it before. It went great. And the first time we made it to like round two or three, you know, third time we made it around five, third time we made it to seven. We didn't quite beat the game, but maybe with a little more practice we could have. And it was just a fun time. So that was my, that's my first game that I wanted to talk about. I'm going to chime in with something here. It's not a game that I've played and it's totally, I don't know, I'm just doing my own thing. It's Smartphone Inc. And I brought this up with you, Tim, via text, I don't know, a week ago or something. I've heard so many good things about this game, and I was really turned off by the name of it and the dude on the cover, some like yuppie businessman looking at a tablet or something, or probably a smartphone. Hearing more about this game, it's a super streamlined, it seems like it operates so smoothly, almost kind of like, I don't know, I don't want to say like Power Grid or since we just played it tonight, but it has like a nice order of operations and it just flows and it's actually like a bit of an area control economic game with with like a lot of interaction. So that's one game that has been on my mind. If any listeners out there have any insight, I want to hear about it because this game sounds cool to me. Yeah, this game uh, has a, about as exciting of a theme as building up power plants, a power grid <laughs> across the country. But obviously, as we said, that doesn't make it a bad game. So I've also heard good things about it. I would be willing to try it, but I'm not. I'm not excited about it. So if you if you pick this some night, Adam, I'll I'll play it with you and hopefully really like it. But man, I I'm in this business and I have no interest in taking my business home and playing a board game based out of it. So. <laughs> hopefully it. Hopefully it blows our minds, but I can see it being like a horrible bust too. It's like, what is this stupid game, Adam? Yeah. <laughs> no, it's supposed to be cool mechanisms to it. And it sounds like interesting mechanisms. But I just prefer a different theme, I think. So that's sure. that's how I've been feeling about it since I heard about it. When, when this first got announced, a lot of people are like, oh, I can't wait to play this game. And I'm like, what's wrong with you? There's no way that game can be any good. But as people have started to play it, it, it right. does sound like there's some really fun and unique mechanisms that are worth tackling. There's some cool engine building, I guess. So that gets me that's, excited. That's exactly what's kept me away is yeah. the theme. I'm just like, what? Smartphone yeah. Inc.? Well, anyway, that was supposed to be covered in the um, games we're excited about segment, but we'll just uh, we'll just move right along. Uh, it's cool. I I got one more uh, I'll talk about, and I think Steve has another one too. The other game I finally got to play was Seven Wonders Duel. Uh, have you guys ever played Seven Wonders, the card drafting game? No. Okay. Seven Wonders is a civilization game, but it's a, it's a card drafting game. The whole game is, you know, it's like the same mechanism as playing Sushi Go or something like that. Basically, everyone starts with seven cards in an era, and you pick one of the cards and you hand the rest of the person to the left of you. 
it's been a little while since I played the original Seven Wonders, but one of the things is that when you take the card that you're playing, you have to be able to pay the mechanisms for it. So there might be a cost to, to put it in your tableau, or the cost might be a resource that you've already had generated. So it's kind of a fun, like you're trying to not just take these cards, but you have to be able to play them and you have to have enough money to do it. And then it goes through three eras. And essentially there's like technology that you can build up and get special benefits from. You can build a wonder. It's a fun little drafting game, but I got to play the two player version of this that came out a few years later. So Seven Wonders Duel came out in 2015. I think Antoine Bauza was the designer of the original Seven Wonders, but he co-designed this with Bruno Cathala, who is, I always enjoy his designs. He's done games like Five Tribes is, is one of my favorite of his, and, and Jamaica is another great game. They did a really clever thing here by making it a two-player game because, you know, a drafting game doesn't work for two players typically. It's not much fun to have a handful of cards and just pass them back and forth. So they did this by having a, a tableau of cards that are on the table. The first round is built in a pyramid where you've got one face-up card at the top and then two face-down underneath it and three face-up underneath that. And essentially, people can only buy the cards that are visible. So if you buy a card at the bottom and it exposes the card right above it, you flip it over and then that card's available to people. So you've got a really fun decision to say like, well, if I buy this card, which is good for me and would be good for my opponent, then I'm going to open up a card that's even better for them. So really fun way to handle that same civilization building mechanism where you're kind of chaining these cards off each other but restricting what cards are available to it i really like this game me and my friend played it and then we immediately wanted to play it a second time really fun way to implement this this game so if you guys are looking for a fun two-player game i definitely recommend seven wonders duel we're a little late to the party here um but it's uh it's it's still uh, excellent game i've heard so many good things about that game but i have never had a chance to play well it's in my collection i was it was gifted to me for father's day so if you get it get back out here for Very another nice. time adam we'll have to give it a shot hey what was the game you showed with chameleons on is it chameleon oh yeah yeah so I'll, the the last one i'll mention um and then steve can can wrap us up here but uh it, it's a game called coloretto oh yeah and and i'd heard about this game for a while i think board game barrage talks about it i it's been one it, that yeah. they've mentioned several times I didn't really know what to expect. I thought it was some kind of card game or tile drafting game, but my friends had it. They said they enjoy it, so we, we gave it a shot. It is a very simple card game. This game is actually really great for a filler game. It's a lot of player interaction. Basically, for the number of players you have at the table, you put out that number of central marketplace cards in front of you. So if you're playing three players, you put three cards out in front of you. And then this deck is just a whole bunch of, I think it's seven different colors of chameleons. And so essentially what's going to happen is that you're trying to build sets of chameleons. And the bigger set that you have, the more it's worth scoring at the end of the game. On your turn, you draw a card off the top of the deck and you put it on one of those marketplaces. Or at any time you can take one of those marketplaces, but then you're out for the round. So let's say that I've got a red chameleon in my tableau and i want more red chameleons so the first card i drop the top of the deck is a red chameleon i put it in one of the marketplaces out there and hope that nobody else takes it but then courtney takes a chameleon off the top of the deck and it's brown and she puts it there now i if i take that i've got to take the red and the brown chameleon which doesn't sound bad except that you can only score three colors of chameleons positive at the end of the game everything else is negative points for you once you've kind of settled on the three colors you're building towards you don't want the other colors and so it makes it a really fun puzzle like, ooh, I want these two colors, so I'm gonna build these two together, but then someone else puts a color that I don't want on top of that, or somebody else is gonna grab those two colors up. So you're just constantly like, oh, I hope this comes back to me. Oh, they just ruined that. They just trashed that pile for me. And you're always just like messing with other people and trying to screw up what they can score on and grab the best stuff that you can. So really fun for what it is. Takes about 15 minutes to play through a game, but we had a blast playing it. We, we played it like half a dozen times this weekend. 
Steve, you had uh, something else? I've actually had a pretty busy month, but yes, I will wrap up with Blockus Duo. I know it's a, it's an old game, but the bar next door that I go to regularly has uh, opened up their bar seating for vaccinated individuals. So I've been playing Blockus Duo with some of the bartenders there when they're not when they're not busy serving people, and it's garnered a lot of interest from the other patrons. <laughs> and I think we might be playing some board games there soon. Now, did the bar have Blockus Duo, or did you bring it to the bar? I brought it down. Oh, fun. Yeah, because I figured that was like it wouldn't. You know, even if somebody spills a beer or whatever, it's just plastic pieces. You know, there was probably some card games that might be better for specifically two players but um i figured that was a bar worthy game the little pieces will probably get lost eventually but if any listeners don't know what blockus is so blockus is basically this plastic tray and you have a whole bunch of like uh, tetris like pieces and the idea is that each player has to start on one corner of the board they have to place a piece in a diagonal space connected to their current piece but it can't be orthogonally connected so you're kind of building it off across the board and trying to block what other people can do because um, those players can build next to you, but you can kind of get in their way. And you're trying to get as many of your pieces on the board until the board's filled before the other person does. And whoever has the least pieces left at the end of the game wins. But the traditional version is a four-player only game, or they have some variants you can do other stuff, but it really is made for four players. So Steve, how does Block is Duo play differently? Is it just a smaller board or are there different rules for it? Uh, Blockus Duo is essentially just a smaller board and a specific subset of the piece combinations, right? They're okay. designed to fit that size board. Essentially, it's the exact same rules as the full player Blockus. My favorite Blockus is Blockus Trigon, which is the three-player Blockus, but two-player is great also. I've heard so many good things about Blockus going back to like, I don't know when it was, two thousand seven or whatever this game looks cool the little shapes going across transparent pieces he's perfect to bring down to a bar and make some new friends and start your own little board game group there at the pub nice yeah i think the only the the biggest downside to block is, is that you have to have a different version depending on how many people you're playing with yeah. <laughs> that's is there a, is there a block open pentagon <laughs> pentagon block is pentagon septa block five for five players <laughs> all right well nice all right sounds good well I think that will wrap us up for this week. If uh, you have any interest in chatting with us about the games we've been playing, you can reach out, right, reach out to us on social media. You can hit us up on Twitter at BG underscore Hot Takes. And you can reach out to us on Facebook at Board Game Hot Takes. And by the way, we, tried, we chatted about a poll uh, at the beginning of the episode. We're going to start doing that weekly. So if you want to get engaged in the conversation and be a part of the poll results that we discuss at the beginning of every episode, follow us on Twitter, get in, give us your thoughts and you know why you're voting a certain way and we'll read some of your information online. All right, until next week, take care, everybody. Later. Bye-bye.